Hello and Hello. welcome to our podcast. This is our first edition, and so you're going down in history by listening to this right now. My name is Arjuna, and I'm the host of this podcast. And uh, I'm just going to introduce some of our co-hosts right now. So let's start off with Robin. Yo, I'm Robin. I spend half my time loving PUBG and the other half hating it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty and fair. I'd love assessment. to talk about both of those things. <laughs> nice. And next, I'll introduce Liz. I am Liz. <laughs> I'm one of the only girls you may hear <laughs> in this <Ever>. area. <laughs> I'm pretty badass, though. We. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm cool. I play games. I'm a chick. And I'm pretty badass. That's pretty much the yeah. beginning and end of the you story. got it. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Alex. Howdy. I'm Alex. I play way too many video games. Uh, I'm married to Liz. Knowing that, and laugh. that's uh, that's about it. Cool, <laughs> good start, I, guys. That's I think we life. get more interest in the show if people thought Liz was single. Uh, <laughs> just, that that's just pretend that Alex didn't say that last part. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to uh, let's move on to Tim. Uh, yeah, Tim, here he is. <coughs> um, what do I say about myself? Actually, here's a good thing. I haven't been playing video games until I was interested or introduced to PUBG. PUBG is really testimonial. Yeah. Thank you, Blue Pool. Yeah, yeah. Looking for those royalties next month. <laughs> I was pretty. I was big into video games, and then I dropped off the map for a while. And then a coworker said, "Play this game." And then Robin said, "Play this game." And wait, now I play this game all the time. Wait. So, at what point? At what game did you drop off? Like uh, at- the last game that I was playing was Call of Duty: Modern Warfare. Okay. And just for the and quick then, fix, yeah. And then you dropped out, and that wasn't again until PUBG came in. Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh. So I'm, I'm a returning, uh, recovering ex-gamer. It was kind of the same with me, actually. Like, I I wasn't playing video games before PUBG for, like, years. The last video game I was really into was StarCraft II. Really? Yeah. yeah. Gives you an idea of how long I've been out of the game. Interesting. So, oh, gosh. See, I have always been a one-game person. Like, I, I find a survival or crafting game and I play that for like five years and then it kind of dies off and then I join a new game. So I've always been a Sims person and then from Sims it was survival games like Don't Starve and um, you know I, I found that I could only play those like basically two games but then PUBG kind of came in and took over a couple of those areas of gaming that I really like, you know, looting and survival and, you know, kind of creating a community within your kind of survival area. And it was, it was, it was kind of crazy because I have never been like a shoot 'em up person ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ever. I, never I rem- played a shoot 'em up I was, game. I remember that. Me and Alex have been trying to get you to join our shoot 'em up games for a long time and PUBG finally got you in. 
which was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, now you're like better than all of us, which is kind of embarrassing to all of us. <laughs> My and first shoot awesome up. to you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a sweet little intro segment. I'm sure we'll get to talk about ourselves oh. a lot because it's our podcast. Um, so I just want to transition now and just kind of like place us in the context of where PUBG is at right now. We're recording this on November 30th, 2017. So we are all with bated breath anticipating the release of version 1.0 and this game actually comes out of early access. Um, so I think we can all agree this is like a pretty exciting time to be playing this game. Uh, lots of people are talking trash about the game uh, because of all the things that still need to be fixed. And, you know, I'm not going to say that that is not true. Uh, but at the same time, the game's getting better every day. Uh, I think we can all agree that we're looking forward to the new desert map. Uh, and the new patch that they've been working on with the vaulting and the new weapons and stuff is is pretty sweet like i'm just gonna come right out and say it's like a much better game um well yeah and yeah easily go for I, it I, yeah i think like <laughs> it's kind of crazy to say that people are bad mouthing it and it's you know getting so much hoopla but this game hasn't even been fully developed yet yeah. and it has this <laughs> enormous following this I mean, what is it? Up to two, over two million current concurrent players. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not even fully done developing and changing, and it it's already a huge, huge group of people that adore this game. So, I. I mean, it's going to have some haters, but come on. It's like, it's a huge movement. Yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing. We were excited about the release of 1.0, and there's going to be a lot to talk about with that on our here podcast. Uh, but I'm going to start off with introducing our flagship segment of our flagship podcast here, uh, which is Weapon of the Week. And the weapon that I want to highlight is the micro uzi um this weapon i think we can all agree is pretty sweet i robin and i were just talking about how we don't actually see it getting much airtime. we don't see like that many pro players rocking it in their streams never yeah and it just like it surprises me because i have found it Mm -hmm. over the months to be like a pretty devastating weapon Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's kind of the diamond in the rough. <laughs> Say more, Liz. Yeah, well, you see it everywhere, and usually it gets passed over for at least an ump. Often, you know, you want to grab the ump because it's a little more long range, and you often see it as often you see as you see the micro Uzi. Um, but oh man. When you get the micro Uzi early game and you get in those like close gunfights, nothing feels better than getting a kill <laughs> with a micro Uzi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. Oh, yeah, especially if you're yep. like kind of running in on your squad and like right. taking down the people that yeah, yeah, I, people it's are funny. engaging early game. I definitely put it in the same class as a shotgun in terms of what I want it for. Um, yeah. I think of it like a shotgun. It, sh- it does these blast 
semi-automatic blast with a fair mm-hmm. amount of time in between. And the Uzi, it's like you're letting out pellets at roughly the same, like it's a stream of pellets as opposed to a blast. And it, <laughs> like, other than that, they're the exact same to me in terms of how I use them. And so it's like, if I'm feeling like I don't have good aim, which you need with a shotgun. If you miss with a shotgun, you miss. And with an Uzi, you can spray. <laughs> See, that's Instead interesting. Adjust your like, aim in the middle and then hope you get it. I feel em. like I have more give with a shotgun than a micro Uzi. Mm. Oftentimes, Man. I find myself aiming down the iron sights of a micro Uzi uh-huh. at like long, Same. short yeah. to medium range. And with a shotgun, I feel like I can just kind of fire from the hip. And I have a little more spray area, a little more give yeah. to where I have to aim. I do have a memory of knocking down a player from across the street in Razak. We were both on rooftops with a micro Uzi. And uh-huh. I was pretty impressed with, because you don't use it long distance. To, you just kind mm-hmm. of like hold it aside and use a different mm-hmm. gun. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was kind of like, okay, this gun is better than we give it credit for. Well, yeah, and, I, you uh, don't, but I, wonder, I still. Do you remember? I still you always a, pass it up for an up. Like I always put it. Up I in know it's really underappreciated. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Why? What's your criteria for deciding that the ump is going to replace the Uzi? More ammo. Um, what do you mean? Uh, you thirty rounds per clip instead of twenty-five. Yeah. Um, sights. I can put sights on an ump. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's me. It's it's sights. I think that's the biggest that's one. That's what it is. It's iron sights versus. I mean, you can slap a four X scope mm. on an ump if you really but want. Like, to. why? Yeah, I've tried it. It sucks. Like trying to hit someone where four X is actually useful. It's like yeah, it just but if you have hit. a you have if you have a suppressor on it and it's mm-hmm. like that versus you know totally giving away your situation. Yeah. If if you had to, otherwise it's it's more of I don't know. The ump feels like it has more oomph. Mm-hmm. medium more to long-ish to <laughs> yeah more more ump to it medium to longish range yeah you know? it's a micro uzi it's like immediate versus like medium range exactly micro uzi can just take them down so much faster if you have if it's early game and you have a choice between an ump and an uzi definitely go uzi. for ump but like what? no ump because early ump is game? more versatile ump ump can do distance and close range but it doesn't, do, it doesn't do either of them well. It doesn't do okay, either okay. of them well. Depends on how you play as a squad. So if if you're like, if we're all going to move close range or, or kind of take them on one-on-one, then micro Uzi. But mm-hmm. if you're not sure how you're going to maneuver, who's going to um, kind of uh, flank or, or play distance, then sure, an ump makes more sense. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because... I often end up in this place where I'm like early game, I get an Uzi and then I pick up an AR and then I find an ump and I'm like, oh, an ump is better than an Uzi. So I switch it out. Right. But then, you know, I end up like, I'm kind of at this point in my game where I feel like a full auto AR beats an ump like in every metric that I can think of. It seems to be like the same rate of fire. More damage, more accurate. just seems like a better weapon. Um, Whereas like, you know, there's no question that if you're like peeking around a corner, just like trying to nail someone right there, the Uzi is a much better weapon than your AR. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. So exactly. I've been, I've just been kind of trying to evaluate this lately. Like, what are the situations in which I would actually want to hang on to an Uzi, like into the later game? Mm-hmm. And I, I really, 
I have found it to deliver really well. Like, like if I just hold right click and I aim, I've found mm. it to have really fantastic accuracy, even at mid range. And I think mm -hmm. maybe part of that is just that the rate of fire is so good that like maybe one in four of your bullets are hitting. Mm -hmm. Sure, but it's just, it's so fast that it gets the job done anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and I think especially if you have like a stock and a compensator on it, it can be a, like a pretty devastating weapon. So sure, that's a hypothesis that I've been testing lately. I've just been trying to hang on to it later in the game. And uh, I do and like how the micro Uzi has its own attachment that no other guns can have. That's fun for me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The stock. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. Yeah. the stock doesn't go on anything but the mic. That's very yeah. special. That plus a mm -hmm. compensator, that gun will shred. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I know, though, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I, I often, early game, will be like, I'll take a shotgun, and then above my shotgun, my upgrade is to an SMG. Okay, from mm. an SMG, is it micro Uzi or is it ump? I will start with the micro Uzi, but I will pass it up for an ump. Because to me, you can really upgrade the ump more than you can upgrade the micro Uzi. And if you're beyond the immediate beginning of the game, I'm like, all right, I'm going to take an ump over micro Uzi or a shotgun. To me, beginning of the game is micro Uzi shotgun area, and then you upgraded the ump. And then for, for me, recently, it's been if you can take an AR that goes full auto, often that's an AK. Or if you take an M4, if you have a sniper rifle above that. But. Yeah, and I think, I think that matches, like that matches the hierarchy that I tend to see with like pro streamers. Yeah, or you do that too. Well. Yeah. Um, have you been too. finding that you take uh, Originally, I took the AKM, and that was like my, I was all about 7 mil guns. It was AK all the way, even long range, even though it really doesn't have a lot of accuracy. Well, but th this recently, is... I've been putting it down to SMG level. Do you find that like you've put like, oh, I have this gun as my SMG for myself, even though it's not technically an SMG? Well, I think this is like a broader topic than maybe I want to focus on with this humble little sure. segment. Um, sure. So let's, yeah, let's I earmark like that one for What's like a future point? discussion because I would love to talk about that. It's really interesting. I kind of feel the same way about it though. That's why, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, moving cool. on. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll take a note of that then. Note um, for later. Yeah. All right, well, this concludes our little segment on the Micro Uzi. It's a cute little gun. Try it out. Um, so now we're going to move on to our location of the week, which is another patented topic. And uh, we're gonna, each week we're going to pick an area of Erangel. 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 Russia. <laughs> yeah. Right. The Ukraine. <laughs> So uh, this week's special location is what, I didn't know this before we had to look it up, but it's called the Yasnaya Compound. And this oh. place, it's that little area to the northwest of Yasnaya. It's like, uh, it's got about six to eight buildings in it. It's got a little wall around it. Um, it's, so it's northwest of Yasnaya. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yep. Oh, totally. oh yeah. 
Cool. All right. So um, I, I brought this up because I, I think it's a neat little spot that you can go to for a lot of phases mm-hmm. of the game. You can even drop that, sure. I would say, in yeah. duos. Or By less. the way, hold on. Before we get too far, yeah. um, I'm looking at pubgmap.io, and it's called Yasnaya Camp. No, no, you're right. Compound. Sorry. I thought I said campground. Uh, <laughs> connection. Some of what you camp. I, Some of you feel like it's a compound. It's straight north of that little teardrop lake by Aznaya. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Some of us have done our homework. So, um, so yeah, this place is pretty sweet. Um, like I was saying, I think that it can it can support uh, a duo drop from the beginning of the game. It can also be a really excellent second place to hit if you're playing with a bigger squad. Um, Agreed. Uh, yeah. With like the one group, Henry and all them, we used to always drop mansion, and the first thing we did after mansion was hit that compound, like ev- like clockwork. Every single time we would do that, and it's a really great place to load up uh, on ammo or things that maybe you left behind. Like you know, you get boosts and stuff there. You might not get a whole bunch of great guns in that compound. That's the one thing. So it's not always loaded with weapons. Yeah, I found but that too. So- would you hit that place if then you were planning on moving to Severny or Yasnaya? I guess it depends on the circle, but like it was it's just close enough to like, you know, you get that vehicle, you go up there, you loot. Um it's a really great place if people are already there because you have the mountain on the mm. eastern yeah. side that you can shoot people from the top of and um you know, if they're better, they can always dip to the northern coast. I think like... that's really weird because I have never found myself going there. <clears throat> I oh always, yeah, always find myself going for like southern Sev or Yasnaya or any other place. I've never singled that place out as a a even a a drop point or, or like a segue point between Severny or Yasnaya. It's always like. Severity to the gun range or like using the river from Yaznaya to Razak. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't even think I've, I can even imagine myself ever going there. Wow. I can remember. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a great place. There's usually a vehicle spawn. Sometimes there'll be a Really? There. Yeah, which always helps if you drop there hmm. or if you're coming down from like um, Stahlberg or something like that. So would you, um, would you hit that over Stalber, or from? Um, would you well, aim for Stalber? Yeah. So Arjuna and I just had down. a duo game, and I couldn't make it to Stalber on my drop, so I dropped there, and uh, we did pretty well starting there because he just met up with me. We didn't loot until we stopped there together, mm-hmm. and I think we were we felt good enough to continue. We did good. Yeah, and I think one of the benefits of that place is that it's not very popular. So, like, yeah. it's a good place to just stop over, and you usually don't get harassed there. Um, and if you do, it's a it's a pretty. It has a wall. It has a three story building. So it's it's also a decent place to defend as well. Yeah, I think it's really easy to overlook because of the surrounding areas. Yeah. It's also fun, like, you know, especially, I think the the n- northern end of the circle will often end up kind of poking right up around that area. And so it can be a great place to loot and then, like, go a little east to those rocks that overlook the lake 
and you can kind of snipe down on the lake and snipe down on uh, the western portion of Yasnaya. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, I think it. I think it sticks out mostly because there's really nothing else around. Um, even Stalberry, which is close, it's uphill. It feels it takes a little longer to get there because of that. Yasnaya is obviously like the big kind of sun gravitational oh. pool in that area. Is it? And it's like where you want to go if you want stuff, but you don't want to be high profile. <laughs> is that area actually labeled on the map? Not on the in-game map. Nope. Okay, so it's. More I don't of think. A... Is it labeled on the new map in the update? That's a good question. I haven't noticed it. I don't think so. I don't know if I've ever known that title. Mm-hmm. You know, we yeah. call the sunken city the sunken city because we understand it that way, but. I've never seen it say the sunken city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like <clears throat> this map on PUBG map.io calls it Watertown. Yeah, <laughs> that sunken area? City, right. Yeah, yeah. Watertown. Really? The sunken city I mean... is called Watertown on the PUBG.io map. Oh. Yeah. But we call Watertown That's the a area with name. a water tower. Yeah, that's a terrible name. That's where my aunt retired. Watertown. <laughs> <laughs> that's not where I'm going to go get guns, okay? Actually, they have a lot of guns, but nonetheless. You know, it's very different. <laughs> yeah. So that area. Yeah. So. So is is it a col- colloquial term? Yeah, I, guess, I think you, you could call, call it, it that. Mm-hmm. Huh. But anyway, yeah, it's not a campground or compound. Like, <laughs> Can we call I, it campground from I, now? I must on? be dyslexic after two or three beers. Um. I mean, to me, it's like a pasture town, unless it circles up there. Then I will camp it and wait for people to come through. Sure, um, yeah. It's, it's kind of, like, of fun because uh, it's isolated and it feels safe. There's something that feels kind of safe about it. Is, is there anyone here that's particularly fond of it? Well, I mean, I, I brought it up probably because I'm fond of it. Um, uh-huh. And really? probably actually just because Henry and Max, friends of the podcast, are really fond of it. And mm-hmm. they, they kind of... Uh, convinced me through our different really? rounds of going that it was a good place mm-hmm. to stop. Mm-hmm. It's like a free loot. I think of it as a free loot zone. Totally. Yep. But People don't go there. It's got decent stuff. You can loot it with a squad of four. You literally loot the place in about 30 seconds. Totally. Yep. But then where do you go from there? If you're like, oh, oh it's free loot, but it's then four the, of you. The world's your oyster. I mean, you don't, you don't drop there, but... You know, you don't you, drop there. Okay. You, no. Yeah, that I was thinking. No, like, I. Or you drop. No, I actually played a game where I was a rando in a squad of other randos, and those idiots dropped there, and it was a bad idea. That we seems we like did not do well really, around. Yeah, a yeah, cowardly. So yeah, drop do. drop there with like duo or solo, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yes. otherwise it's just a pit stop. Yeah. Anyway, Yasnaya Campground. It's a sweet place. Go visit there sometime. I'll check that out. And now let's move on to our main topic, which we've all been excitedly anticipating, except uh. a lot of us didn't even know what it was until today, um, which is we are going to talk about positioning and specifically squad positioning. Um, this really is a, a big topic. And I'm really enjoying the thought of discussing it with you guys. And I'm so I'm basically just gonna give like an overlay of of what I want to talk about, and then we can just go to the races. So there's a distinction between strategy and tactics, which Robin and I were discussing today, and um, I think we could talk more in depth about it later. But the the broad strokes of it is that 
strategy is something that you think about in the long arc of the game. Um, so a strategy would be something like, we're going to drop here, we're going to try to find vehicles, we're going to go airdrop hunting, and then we're going to, you know, drive to the edge of the circle and work our way in. That would be considered a strategy. Um, tactics is more like, uh, it's, it's like a strategy that you employ in the short term for a particular situation, or perhaps when the same kind of situation comes up, you have a certain small set of um, tactics that you use. So the tactics might be like when we're storming a house, we each take a door, we run in, someone nades upstairs, and then we flush out the upstairs. That would be like tactics. So I totally what, agree. Yep. So what I want to talk about today is strategy. Um, and maybe there might be a little tactics moving its way in. So... Um, I have been noticing lately in a lot of squad games that I play that often what we'll end up doing is we'll pick a drop, we'll loot up, and then if we get out of that initial stage, the strategy is usually like find a vehicle, head to the edge of the circle, like pick a compound on the edge of the circle, take that, maybe chill out and wait for the next circle, and then pick a compound on the edge of that circle. So what I really wanted to focus on was this question of hugging the edge of the circle, like edging it versus going. So, so when you edge it, you're, you're looking to ride the circle so that you don't have people coming from behind you. Um, and so that you can work your way in. It's generally considered to be like a, a safer or more conservative way to play versus um, people who tend to go for position, right? Which is like, look at the circle, try to find yourself a spot which is closer to the center of the circle, which is going to have kind of the most tactical advantage. Right. Um, I, I think, yep. I ahead, think that's a, just a brilliant part of the game design where there's a clear trade-off there, which is if you're on the edge of the circle, you have a much lower chance of getting flanked. But if you're in the middle, you have a chance of getting a good early position on where the end circle is going to be, or better chances. And I think like playing that trade-off is is a really cool part of the game. Yeah, um, it's very thrilling to... I, I feel like you're playing numbers versus sheer knowing of control. So if you're like working as a very specific rim of the circle, you know exactly certain this area is uphill, this area is downhill. I can see these points specifically and my squad has these points covered that I can't see. So you're betting that because I know there aren't certain people behind me unless they're hurting really bad. Um, I know X, Y, Z. But then mm -hmm. if you're in like mm -hmm. the very center, but you have good visual, you're also gambling that, hey, I can see all these areas, yep. even though like X, Y, and Z could be coming in. Those are variable variables. Right. So wait, but you're saying from the middle, you feel like you have, you might trick yourself into thinking you have more certainty about what's going on around you. Right, but okay. really, you don't. Mm -hmm. It's true, yeah, which it, it brings up another topic, which is what I, I call recon, 
which is situational awareness, which I, I think plays into the bigger topic here of how you position yourself as a squad. Because really, it's, it's about where you go next after that first job. Because usually, you, like at us, I know we tend to drop like medium-sized places, and then we, we kind of car up and go choose another medium-sized place. And when we go to that medium-sized place, the first thing that we all of us do is jump into full-on loot mode. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so at that point, everyone's eyes are on the floor of their house. <laughs> sure. And so it's an interesting no, topic. that's true positioning because positioning kind of assumes a certain relationship between the squad and the rest of the map and the rest of the players but i think that right the, the first two or three places that a squad stops at are mostly considered to be loot places and it's not till the last couple of circles that people right. start thinking of it as a kind of last stand defensive well, and then if you call out that your team when you're jumping into a place is going to take certain positions that are pre-established. If we think about our quote-unquote Rob's place, or you know the Milta power plant without the stacks, you know we say, all right, I'm going to work the stairs. So there's this already pre-established strategy, and then certain people assume certain places. But then you jump in, and then you know you kind of assess, all right, there is no immediate threat, and then the loot the loot mindset sets in, then mm -hmm. the people that aren't pre-assumed, yep. it's like, all right, I get prime pickings. And then the person who's like holding the spot down gets nothing. <laughs> loot I, mode could be a bitch. Mm -hmm. well, I, I definitely think uh, some an area that most squads could improve upon is like having one vigilant person at all times. Right. Yes. So, yes. you know, if you have three people gathering loot and you have one person just like keeping a lookout, that's like uh, one, yeah. one person takes the like tallest building in the town and just like watches and mm -hmm. keeps an eye on everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's that's just one of those things that's going to make it's just going to make you better um, as yeah. a squad, you know, and it all depends on how much fun, you know, how fun you want to play it versus in casual versus being competitive. It's, a, it's no fun, man. This is life. <laughs> this is, this is just <laughs> serious yeah. chicken dinner territory here. Well, I think even if you're like really serious about like getting a win, if you just say, Hey, here's what I'm looking out for. Like, right. please find a flash hider for me with, for my right. sniper rifle. Exactly. exactly. And, and I, I feel like, go ahead, go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. It just, but I think if the recon person, once once someone says, I'm recon, can you guys look for X, Y, Z? Yes. Like, people will prioritize them. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. And they're going to get what they yep. need. For sure. Yeah. I mean, especially... you can't hold it against someone if you're like, oh, God, I said I only have a level one first, and you found all these other level three things you didn't even think of me. Well, if you didn't say, hey, find me, whatever. XYZ. <laughs> so um, I, I want to take a moment. I think there's a, I think this is a misconception and I want to just air it with you guys and see what you think. I think a lot of people feel like there's a safety in hugging the edge of the circle. Um, I mean, we all know when the circle's really big, like the first couple of circles, it doesn't necessarily make as big of a difference. But I think there's this misconception that, um, 
that if you're kind of riding the edge of the circle as it moves in, that you're in a safer position or that you're not going to get surrounded as much. Um, and I kind of want to debunk that as mm. a as a notion. And so just hear me out. Like what you what you see, what the the movement of the circle tends to do is it tends to take all the players in a big area of the map and squash them into a very small amount of space because you know let's say the circle changes and let's say it moves like way far south like the new circle is really south and the blue circle has a huge balloony northern area right what's going to happen is that every single person in that northern balloony area is going to have to move south and some of them may be strategic and hug the edges and try to hit the south side of that white circle, but a lot of them won't, especially if they're looting or if they're fighting. And so what what's going to happen is if you Wait, say... Yeah, they're going to hit the south side. If So the people who are in the balloony... People who are in a balloony blue or people who are in white are going to hit the south. So, sorry, maybe I misspoke. So what's going to okay. happen is that all of the people in the balloony northern area are going to head south and they're going to hit the northern side of that white circle. Right, right, right. Okay. And so you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I'm going to head I'm, you know, I'm going to hug the edge of the circle. It's safe. You know, I'm I'm going to get in that northernmost edge of that blue circle, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or the white circle. But what's going to happen is at around the same time in the game, every other person who is in that part of the map is going to be coming through there as well. I think you're right. Yeah. And I, I just yeah, go ahead. So so what I've noticed is that, and then the other problem is that you have this added issue where the blue is coming in on you too. Um, so if you're not actually the outermost person, then you might get in this situation where people who are a little further in the white circle are going to be keeping you out. People who are less in the circle than you are are going to be coming in your direction. And then you have this advancing wall of death, which is going to kill you if you don't move. Um, and it can be a really rough place to get stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate that. And I think I think too many squads, too many games die. That's never and... happened to me. I, yeah. <laughs> right. I think too many players die in that situation, and they just think like, "Oh, well, I got caught by the circle," or "Oh, you know, we ran into that squad and they killed us," and they kind of play down the fact that we as a team weren't talking about like what we were going to do two minutes from now. Right. Yes. Um, And so I think that this is a place that people get really messed up. And I think some level of awareness about this um, and some level of planning about it in earlier stages of the game can really pay off. Oh, absolutely. I find that I have found myself in winning situations when I have come up you know, we're, we're moving forward and all I'm focused on is the circle, but my partners have gotten to a spot and just realized, wow, this hill is great. Or, you know, this, this spot, this perch, I have great visual. And then all of a sudden I snap to and I see, oh, my position towards you is I can watch your back in this position. And it's all about communication between one person saying I have great visual in this direction. And then we can all kind of assign around them. But I hadn't even thought of that until one of my partners was pointing out their specific position. And so that really helped. If I had just said, oh, well, 
I'm in the circle. I can work the edge. But it really doesn't matter. Like, if you can work the edge and you have basically a 180 spectrum of people who can see you, you know, it doesn't really matter. But if you're, you know, even if you're in the middle and you have, like, a little nook, you can work that. And you can make that a win. Right. Yeah. I'm Right. So I'm, I, I'm trying to back up and think about, like, one thing that you're making me think about, Liz, is that big circles are different than small circles. Exactly. That That's what them. I was going to say. Is that yep. the, like, I think that it's true and false. Uh, early game circles kind of need to be thought of differently as as opposed to the last five circles, four or five circles, because those last four or five circles, um, you know, by the third circle, it's pretty much impossible for anybody to come up behind you, um, so, which means that you need to deal with people that are probably either north and south of you or east and west of you, um, in which case being at the rim, I think, can be an advantage. But early game, if you're on foot and you have a long distance to travel and you're caught in that white, you know, caught outside of the white and the blue is encroaching. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like that straight line could put you in a lot of danger because a lot of other people might be coming out of Stalber or Yasnaya heading to Razak or something. Yeah, I think there's, there's also like a lot of boogeyman syndrome that I see in this game where it's like, if I drive in the middle of that white circle, everyone's going to shoot me. There's going to be like four of the most elite crate looted, you know, like mm -hmm. 20 foot tall squad members waiting in the middle for me and they're going to shred me up. And I think what often happens is that there's like a bunch of people dicking around at the edge of the circle and there's like these whole swaths of the middle of the white circle that are just untouched. Um, and I, I really think yeah. that it's like a, a ripe area to, yeah. to move into. Well, I think it, there's a difference between if you're looking at the actual middle of your screen and you're moving towards what you immediately see as a good position, or if you're looking at your menu that you pull up when you hit M or whatever, um, and you're actually looking at position with the circle and the altitude and whatever, and you're, um, you know, bottom of your corner of your right screen you know mm. you're positioning within that like i i've thought that oh i should just go to the middle of the circle and the middle of the circle will put me in a great position 360 whatever but really when i'm looking at my bottom right and i'm looking at my positioning within my immediate screen and looking at the positioning of the trees that doesn't matter like a position i wouldn't even thought of and that's all about communicating between your squad mates and where they're observing, because you can't see that on your own map. And, and so you were saying that there's like di different <laughs> like concerns that you have to consider depending on which one you're consulting. Yeah. So I might be playing a game and I think I'm really, really great position because I'm in the middle of the circle. But what I don't see is that I'm placed in a dip in a valley where everyone else around me mm. has a really great position. Mm. But if I look at my immediate screen and I assess that, I can see that, yes, it's better to be on the edge of the circle looking down into the center because it's a low point. 
if you don't consider all these different venues and what you're if you're playing in a squad what your teammates are giving you you can go in thinking that going to the middle or to the edge of the circle will have a certain advantage when really it doesn't mm. because if you're actually assessing the altitudes or whatever of your current yeah. situation you right, find that right, a, right. a different position is better than what you thought right and i i feel like altitude is like a whole nother conversation mm. um like a dip yeah. versus a, a summit like i will almost never take a summit unless i'm feeling super cocky like mm. it's just it's it's a good like maybe pop your head up and view really fast but i will just never hang out on a summit um but when you first brought up this conversation topic of squad positioning i wasn't sure if it was going to be we've mostly focused on circle squad versus circle positioning and there is a lot it's i, I was also thinking about it could be do you want to go toward um high loot areas do you want to go toward settlements do you want to go toward uh remote forests um sure do you you know, like there's a, an, an elevation was another element to it. Do you want to kind of go up into like the high, like aggressive rain down king of the hill area, or do you want to be in the hidden valley? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Just, sure. It's almost like, well, you have to read your immediate group. Do you have a passionate snipers in your group mm -hmm. or are you all looters? And if you're all looters, you're going to choose a high loot area. And then even if it's way outside the circle, you can all grab cars mm -hmm. and you can move into that area. Or if you're like, I'm totally a sniper amongst a group of snipers. So right. you enter a certain area where you know you're going to get guns. Yeah. And then you can snipe certain people moving from a high load area into... Yeah, yeah. Right. I now, think that immediate recognition of everyone's skills is important in recognizing where mm. you're going to drop and move from there. Yeah, good point. Mm. Um, so mostly right now we've we've talked about in terms of circle versus squad. We've talked about edge versus central, and it's it's definitely a there's a little more nuance to it than that. And um, that every the, I guess we can just arbitrarily say that there's kind of a 200 meter radius around a squad. Um, depending on where you are, but we'll just say on average, where it's likely that you're going to see people or you're going to be seen by other people. And the, the more you move that circle around the map, the higher the chances of you seeing another squatter person or being seen by another squatter person. And so if you're, let's say you drop up on the edge of the map and the circle's in the middle, you know, you have a choice of get, going to the edge of that first circle and hanging out, going to the middle, at which point you have to move your kind of 200 meter radius through half of the whole map into the into the middle of it, or you can move it somewhere in between, mm. right? And I think that I'm increasingly thinking of that in-between zone as kind of the place to be, mm. of wherever you're at relative to that next circle, get halfway between the edge and the middle so that you don't have to move through more territory where you're going to expose yourself unnecessarily, but you're going to get to a spot where you're not going to have to run for your life from that circle now, or get crunched. Do you mm. feel like you're okay putting your, yourself in that position because of your confidence in your skill 
with each gun? Slash hubris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, um, I, 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 as Arjuna was mentioning earlier, there is this kind of like boogeyman effect of um, being afraid of what's coming from behind you and edging away. F- There's something that feels safe about the edge of the circle. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it is a little bit superstitious. I think the edge of the circle can be fun late game to skirt it and to, and to just, if you're traveling full speed along the edge of that circle, no one's going to come from behind you. If you're going counterclockwise, right, no one's going to come from your right because that's outside the circle. And so that's like extra safety is to kind of spiral in. Um, but for big circles, it doesn't really make sense because you can't travel that fast unless you have a car. Um, and so, I, I mean, I do play a little bit on the cocky side. Um, not because I'm an excellent player. It's, I'm, I feel like I'm very much a middle of the road player. Um, but I like the action and I, I would rather um, get in and create a confrontation than sit in a bush on the edge and totally bide my time. Because mm-hmm. it's more experience. Um, but it, if you're a beginner, like I was, mm-hmm. when I first started playing this game, it can be very frustrating, very intimidating. If everyone tells you to, or you try to just jump into the middle of the action mm, to totally. quote learn, I didn't feel like I learned anything in those situations, and I just completely shut down. Yeah, sure. Until I was able to, well, because this game presented me with the opportunity to hide in the shit shacks, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. wait it out, yeah, learn how to work the iron sights and aim. I, I was granted mm-hmm. because of this game's structure to have the opportunity to sit back, to ignore everything else around me, mm-hmm. and take my time. Yeah, no, that's that's a really cool point about the flexibility of the game to afford different people of different skill levels um, to get used to the mechanics of a first-person shooter or engage or be passive. Um, mm-hmm. And... It's a huge part of the appeal. Definitely. Yeah, I I will say that I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to get really far in this game with a passive or a hiding play style. But I've noticed that the people who consistently get good results are the people who are consistently um, being aggressive. Um and I think it's sometimes it's just a mindset. Like I think I've spent a lot of time in this game feeling like the hunted, like feeling feeling like I'm being hunted. And I've noticed that I enjoy the game more and I tend to do better when I think of myself as the hunter. Ooh. And mm. so it's not even necessarily a big shift in the style of my play, but like, for example, if I'm hiding in a building and I hear someone run up outside, you know, I might wait there and a person who is afraid might wait there too. But the difference is I'm listening for like, when can I get an advantage, right? When can I get a tactical advantage? When's the right moment for me to, you know, attack this person as opposed to thinking I'm going to wait for them to come to me, you know? And I think what it does is it, it puts the game on your terms. Um, as opposed to on someone else's terms. And 
I think, you know, hiding in a bush can be fine, but I think it's really important to do it on your terms and to tell yourself, like, like what, what advantage am I gaining by hiding in this bush? Why am I choosing to stay here as opposed to, you know, like if I hear gunshots over the hill, why am I staying in this bush as opposed to, like, moving up and, and trying to right. take that person out? Yeah, I think that's super observant. Um, and... I don't do the bush camp thing a lot, but and when I do, I do tend to feel that kind of hunted vulnerability of just sitting and waiting for someone else to kind of discover me and like and take action versus going out and finding someone else to act upon. And, I think um, it's the acknowledging of the high risk, high reward versus gambling on it. Like mm-hmm. you know that you're entering a really aggressive situation and gambling on the high risk. But you understand that if you jump into the school area and you get the right gun and you take them on, and it, the, the high reward is that euphoria and whatever loot you get. Mm. You know? But you know, if you yeah. choose a situation and then you hide in a corner and you know that there's people around you, it's like, the power's not in my hands. It's... I don't know, I'm gambling that there may be a high risk, high reward, but really there's no high risk, so I'm gambling on the reward. Totally. Something I'm noticing is in this conversation, we've mostly been talking about these decisions as if we're making them as individuals, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about squad gameplay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And I think that it does illuminate the fact that we do tend to think of our choices as individual decisions um, when we play squad gameplay, which is, it's interesting because I can definitely think of moments where there was tension in a squad based on the way that we were evaluating these situations and whether or not someone was feeling like the hunter versus the hunted is like a huge one where Mm -hmm. like, I, I see that a lot with our squad gameplay where some of us are feeling like, fuck it, let's go get them. And others are like, no, like, let's win and let's get to the ne- like, next circle, next best position. Let's forget about like this, this danger zone. Um, and it's, it kind of begs a question of, you know, it, it's just a huge never ending question really of, of how to navigate that. Um, and sometimes we've done a good job of identifying uh, a captain at the beginning and then we kind of leave it up to them. And then everyone, um, which I'm, I'm just realizing one of our recent games, we identified a captain. And I just kind of, I made a, a decision with another player on the squad that we would do something. And it kind of created some friction. And I was like, oh. In hindsight, I'm like, we might have wanted to <laughs> not done that aggressive thing that we just decided on the fly to do. Um, and so it is, you know, to think like a squad, oftentimes, I think the easiest way to think like a squad is to delegate. Um, I, yeah, someone I Someone who makes agree. the decisions and decides Definitely. what kind of gameplay we're going to have that game. Or just have a person that you understand is the quote-unquote leader, and everyone can suggest things, and people can say... Oh, I, I, this is how I feel. And everyone can say, yeah, 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 yeah. You can take mm-hmm. a point on that. I think it's important that in situations where people are providing many different 
options or no one <laughs> is suggesting anything that everyone can say, well, this turn, it's so-and-so's turn to take point. And everyone can turn to that person to at least suggest or point everyone in a specific direction. Just kind of like a book club or anything else, you know? If no one's not providing any suggestions or whatever, you gotta have someone to suggest something. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think this is a good this is a good ending point here. Um, we could clearly talk about this for a lot longer, and we should in future episodes. Um, but for now, I really appreciated our discussion on um, circle placement. I just want to recount a few of the things that we talked about. We, we spoke about the relative merits of hugging the edge of the circle versus taking the center. Um, we also spoke about um, having a leader in the squad, which is just a great idea. I think your win percentage goes way up if you have a leader. You know, often squads will just have one player who's clearly better than the rest of people who just kind of ends up bossing people around just because, you know, everyone knows they're the best and so you just follow them. But if you don't have that structure, then it's really good to nominate someone. Um, also, it's a, it's a good good to know which side of the hunter or hunted equation you're currently on in any given situation. I think it can modify the way you play. Um, and I think just a recommendation to players out there, if you find yourselves being on one side of that spectrum consistently, it might make you a better player to explore the other side of it as well. Um, just uh, I think variance is always going to make you a more rounded player. Um, and I would love to talk more about all of this stuff with you guys next Ooh. time. Yeah. So um, thanks for joining me. Thank you out there for listening to this podcast. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to talk PUBG with you and with my friends. And we will see you guys next time. <laughs>